Science and Answers. Our founding fathers warned us that the United States will not survive if she turns away from God. Why is belief in God critical to the survival of our nation? And what happens when a nation turns away from God? How can Christians make a difference in our nation? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Listen now as Pat and former Lieutenant Governor of Hawaii, Duke Iona, discuss the importance of faith and morality in the life of our nation. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, today we have with us a special guest, former Lieutenant Governor of Hawaii, Duke Iona. Duke served as our Lieutenant Governor from 2002 to 2010, and he also served as both an attorney and a judge for the state prior to becoming Lieutenant Governor. And so, Duke, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you very much. Uh, It's an honor to be on this program, Dr. Pat. Yeah, Duke, weren't you and Linda Lingle, the first Republican governors nominated? Well, we were actually the second Republican. The, the, uh, the first Republican governor was Governor Quinn, but he started his term when we were still a territory. Right. And it kind of overlapped into statehood. And, and then, yeah, ever since statehood, it's been all Democrats. So we were the uh, first Republican administration in, I think it was 40 years. Yeah. So what do you think attributed to your getting nominated? Well, it, was, it certainly was a matter of time. I, there's no doubt for me, and, and even Governor Lingo, we had a lot of conversations on this, that it was a divine intervention uh, that put us in that place at that time. In 2002, uh, there was a lot of corruption happening in politics. Elected officials were going to jail, campaign fraud, you name it, it was all happening. And I, I believe at that point in time, the, the people really understood or at least there was a, uh, you know, a, a push towards balance in state government, and, and we got elected. Great. Now, how did you get involved in politics? <laughs> I mean, you talked about corruption, but we know that kind of stuff goes on, and that's why a lot of people just stay away from it. But how did you get involved? Why did you get involved in something like that? Well, there's no question about it. It was all about divine intervention. As I as I went around talking to people, I'd say, you know, it was God's hand in this. There's, there's no other way that it would have happened for me. I, as you mentioned, I was a judge, a state judge, entirely different type of context. As a, as a state judge in Hawaii, we don't get elected. So I, I don't have a constituency. My decisions and rulings, et cetera, can be appealed. And I, I have no constituent to respond to other than the litigants in my courtroom, the litigants that I'm, you know, that I'm, I'm doing a motion for. So it was totally two different worlds. And so when I, re, when I left the bench in uh, 1999 and I started my own, I, I kind of went into, I guess you could say, um, I was self-employed as a mediator, an arbitrator, et cetera, an attorney. This came upon me. It, it, it really, it just came upon me. And my wife and I prayed on this for a year, for a year. And at that point in time, when we started, you know, when it came about, when the notion came in, when somebody made an offer for us to run, I had just started the uh, prayer of Jabez. Uh, if any of you have done the prayer of Jabez, you know yeah. how powerful that prayer is. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, he expanded my territory to yeah. something that I didn't want it to be. And so we got elected. I mean, there's no other question about it. I ran, we had a primary, very I can't remember when the uh, Republicans had a primary of, of the magnitude that we had. We had three people running, three or four people running for LG in, in the uh, Republican uh, primary. 
I had no experience. The other two people I was running against, one was a former, uh, I guess, representative, state representative, long time. The other was well-known. He was a television uh, reporter, and we prevailed. Yeah. Wow. That's great. (laughs) Now, what were some of your greatest challenges you faced uh, as the lieutenant governor? Well, you know, it, it wasn't, I don't know if, it's a, if it was a challenge, but, but really, and I got to say it was a blessing also because Governor Lingo kind of elevated my, my position. I mean, from a constitutional and statutory point of view, you know, regard, point in regards to responsibilities and duties of the LG here in Hawaii, really all it is about it, all it is is if anything happens to the governor, I become governor. Mm-hmm. In some states, you are, you know, the Senate president. That's not what it is in Hawaii. In some other states, you become a chairperson of a, of a different committee, of a committee in, in, in the Senate. That's not what it was here in Hawaii. There's, there's nothing else other than what I just stated. So she brought it to the level where I actually was in on every cabinet meeting. I, she gave me, she asked me what, what kind of initiatives I wanted. And so if you want to say it was a challenge or frustration, it was getting people to understand that the office of lieutenant governor was much more than just a ceremonial and a placekeeper type of office. That was, that was a challenge. But she helped me get to that point. And I, and I, think, we, I think we did establish that. I really do. Now, you know, as a Christian in the political world, what were some of your greatest challenges? Well, just that, just being a Christian, I, I, you know, in this state, it's obvious that we are a state where the media in particular, because uh, we have very limited media, right, in regards to a newspaper, in regards to television, we were very limited. They are definitely, I don't want to say anti-Christ, but they are definitely not, how can I put it, uh, faith-friendly. And, you know, I felt that not only as LG, but intensified even more when I ran for governor. You know, the, the issues for Hawaii have never changed. Education, cost of living, taxation, business regulations. I, I wasn't allowed to talk about that. They always came back to, well, isn't it a fact that you are pro-life? Right. Isn't it a fact yeah. that you are against same-sex marriage? I mean, these social issues, yes, in my context, you know, in our context as Christians are huge but it wasn't something that I put up front at the forefront. In other words, what they wanted to do was they wanted to control the narrative and, and make my agenda be that that's all I was in office for, which was to basically change the laws regarding marriage, change the laws regarding abortion and all of these social issues. And it was, it, it was very difficult. It was very difficult, but I, I never backed away from it. I'm just saying that it, that's the kind of scrutiny I had, whereas they, they would ask me, so you believe in a God? I said, yeah. And then you are a Christian. Yeah. I said, why are you asking me these, these questions and, and solely these questions? How come you're not asking my opponent the same questions? And this is one response that I got, because you're running for governor. Well, the other guy's not running for governor. You can't ask, the, ask that <laughs> sure. person the same question. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the, kind of, that's the kind of stuff I went through as, uh, as a candidate, for, as a Christian candidate, known as a Christian candidate. Yeah, why do you think that is? There's, there's this seems to be such a strong anti-God or anti-Christian push in the press and in the government. I know for those of you listening here, we're in the state of Hawaii, which is one of the most liberal in the United States. But why do you think that is? Well, I, I think <clears throat> it's simply because it's the, it's the nature of the culture right now, in, in not only in Hawaii, but I think uh, throughout America and to a certain extent throughout the world. And 
And when I say that, I had an opportunity to uh, address your your fundraising audience a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about the fact that there is a lack of what some have called moral clarity. And I would go as far as to say we are bankrupt when it comes to morals and ethics, not only in Hawaii, but, but throughout the country and I think throughout the world. And there's a lot of examples of that, current examples that I believe exemplify this lack of moral clarity. And I think that's the reason why. Um, and also the shift from a social perspective in regards to this progressive agenda, as they call it, for gender neutrality. That there's no question that same-sex marriage and what we're seeing now in uh, things related to that are all in advance of what we call gender neutrality. They want the day where we do not call a male a male, a female a female. They want the day where anyone, a child as young as two, will be what that child wants to be. You feel like being a girl today? You're a girl today. You feel like being a boy today? You're a boy today. And and this is not this is not certainly not nature, but this is definitely not God's way. You know, God has made a man a man and a woman a woman. There's no question about it. Yeah, you know, I keep saying when you can no longer define what a marriage is, that's the basic foundation of a culture, a family. Mm-hmm. And when you can no longer define marriage, you attack God's institution. Marriage is not something that man created. That's something that God created. Right. You know, I used to go around the country saying, it's the worst it's going to get. We can't get any worse than that. But now, yeah. when you can no longer define what is a man and what is a woman, right. now you attack the very image of God here. And boy, you, you know, you're right. We're really in, you know, it tells us where we are as a culture, as a nation. Right, and, and it's all because of this lack of moral clarity. For us as Christians, it's because God is no longer in the equation. If God's no longer in the equation, then, then these things become exactly how you just described them. You know, and I do read, do have daily devotionals, and one of the daily devotionals that I've had for a long time, I can't, I can't even remember how long I've been reading them, but it's Oswald Chamber. I, I've been reading him, I, like I said, I don't know how long, but, you know, he points out this. He says, he says, conscience is that ability within me, within us, that attaches itself to the highest standard I know and then continually reminds me of what that standard demands that I do. Okay, conscience. It is the eye of the soul which looks out either towards God or toward what we regard as the higher standard. This explains why conscience is different in different people. If I am in the habit of continually holding God's standard in front of me, my conscience will always direct me to God's perfect law and indicate what I should do. I think that sums it up really right there where we are right now, you know, where that standard is. I mean, really, all you got to look at now, right now, too, is, is some of the stuff that's happening right now. The NFL and what, what's, what's happening with the players, I think, is a great example of, okay, what's my conscience? Really, where mm-hmm. is my conscience on this? You know, take God out of the equation and, and that's where we're at. Yeah, you know, our founding fathers built a lot of the principles of our nation, our constitution, our declaration on the idea of God and God's moral law. But, you know, today there's a strong move to get God out of the government. You know, why do you think that is? Well, I think it started a a while back. And really, you know, I, I know you wanted to touch a little bit upon this, but it goes to this fictitious they say it's part of the Constitution, but it's nowhere in the Constitution. This thing about separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing in the Constitution regarding the separation of church and state. There may be a hint of it in some of what we call the dicta 
of uh, some some rulings and some opinions that have come down from the courts. But there's nothing, there's no mandate that speaks about this distinction between church and state. We have what's called an establishment clause, and that's all it is. If you recall your history, American history, really America was uh, a big part of why America became America was because they wanted to flee from the oppression which was happening in England in regards to practicing of your faith, you know, religious freedoms. And that's the reason why, a big reason why America was, is America. And so at some point, and I can't put my hand on it right now, this, this concept of separation of church and state just kind of took over. And if you look at it now, there is so much fear in government right mm-hmm. now by, by a lot of people, Christians alike, who will say, oh, I can't talk about that because, you know, there's a, uh, there's a constitutional mandate that I, I can't bring religion into this, you know. I believe it happened with me but it's happened with many others before me. It's happened to some people in public schools, you know, teachers and coaches and, and whatnot. And it's happening. And so in every, I guess you could say in every aspect, you know, of our society, I, I believe it's, it's happening. And it's all because of this so-called separation of church and state. Yeah, explain that separation clause for us a little bit more. What does that actually mean? All it means is that the state, government, Right. Government, government, whether it be at the local level, whether it be at the state level or the federal level, they cannot establish a religion or a faith or anything that's related to that. They can't establish it. In other words, they can't they can't put it upon you and say, Dr. Pat Zuckerman, you will now be a part of the Muslim faith or you will stop practicing your faith as a Christian. They can't do anything like that. That's, that's all it is, really. That's really what this is. The, but it has morphed itself. If you look at, like I said, a lot of the, the rulings that we've had. So, you know, right now the Supreme Court in this session is going to take up that infamous case about the cake, the wedding cake. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. They're uh-huh. going to finally take that up. As you know, that uh, person in that bakery in Colorado, I believe it is, said, I'm sorry, I, I can't make you a wedding cake because you are... Get, um, um, I think it's a woman and a woman. You're getting married. That is against my religious beliefs as a Christian. And as such, I'm not going to bake this cake. Well, that baker has gone through, really, I, 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 I'll describe it as hell in regards to standing up for his religious rights. And so the Supreme Court is finally going to rule upon that. And I, I, I think there's, uh, it's obvious which way they're going, at least in my mind. The baker in that case will finally see his you know, his, his religious rights um, established, reestablished, I should say. But that's where it's coming from, right? I mean, where the yeah. establishment cl- uh, clause is, is supposed to protect all of us. So we as Christians, we as Muslims, we as Buddhists, we as Hindus, whatever our, our faith is, we are supposed to be free, free from any government oppression in regards to our religious practices. That's a freedom of religion, not mm-hmm. freedom from right. religion. Right. Now, some people will take it to mean that you can't pray to open the legislation right. uh, session. Right. You know, you can't uh, right. pray before a football game. Right. Well, that's not how it's applied, is right. it? Right. No, it's not. But they have, they have in some way, you know, made, I, I guess you could say, intonations towards that. And so you have what's called opinions by your various legal um, agencies within a state. And so depending on who the administration is, depending who the attorney general is in most, most states, that's your top legal uh, advisor, they'll give these very narrow rulings in regards to what the, uh, the establishment clause is all about. And as such, they'll say, 
Ah, no, 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 no. On the side of caution, no praying before legislative sessions or no praying, as you mentioned, before a game. And, and really, when you look at a, a football game, like at the NFL, the NFL is a private, it's a, it's a private business. NFL can really do whatever it wants. Right. It, 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 mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't have to even have the flag. That's something that they brought onto themselves, I believe, decades ago when they said, okay, we wanted to promote. My, my understanding was it was actually for commercial purposes. They had actually paid the National Guard X amount of money, or the National Guard paid them X amount of money, I should say, to bring the flag into the, the I guess, the ceremony of uh, or the pomp and circumstance of the, uh, of the NFL games. Right, I understand. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, right now, with all this controversy, I mean, it, the NFL could rightly say, forget it. We're not even doing the American flag. We're not even doing the national anthem, right? We're not even doing mm-hmm. the Pledge of Allegiance. We're not doing any of that. But this is what I'm saying. This is why this moral clarity to me, that's, it's a prime example. of more. On the one hand, the NFL now is like, like this is really a tough call. And, and yet, on the other hand, they won't allow any other commercial freedom of speech for players to occur in, in, in the games, or in the uh, post-games or pre-game interviews. Nothing. So you can't, remember, they won, I forget, a couple players would wear those uh, headphones. And because they had beats on it, you can't do that. Their attire, if they had, you know, like uh, Rex on it, uh, you, you can't show the label. But now when it comes to something like this, oh my goodness, this is really a complex issue that you really don't, uh, really, we, we, really, uh, we really can't put our hands around. I, I think you can. It's real simple. That's not the platform, right? Yeah, and I think from the way I understand it, churches and individuals cannot violate that establishment clause. Yes. Only the government can. Right, only the government. You're exactly right. You're yeah, exactly that has right. been used to, you know, shut down churches to say, well, you can't speak on government or political issues. And yeah, things, yeah. Well, you can't endorse a candidate from the pulpit, but definitely you can address. Well, you know, and, and that issues. all goes that all goes to the to, to the IRS uh, designation, right? Tax exemption designation. Mm-hmm. And actually, President Trump, I believe, has um, rescinded that. It was an executive order, I believe, or rule or policy with the IRS called the Johnson Amendment, because that that's the history behind that. Is Lyndon Johnson got taken by a lot of the faith based. Uh, organizations out there and enacted this amendment to the IRS code, which basically said what you just said. If you go on the pulpit and you start talking politics, you could lose your tax exemption. And uh, I think you know that a lot of churches challenge that uh, throughout the country. None of them were ever shut down. And, and so uh, I think the, the President Trump has repealed that. So I guess pastors can get out there and preach from the pulpit on politics. (laughs) (laughs) Or definitely address, you know, the issues (laughs) that are out there related to government. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially since the Bible does, you know, and a lot of our founding fathers got their ideas from actually the sermons of the pastors that were preaching the colonies out there. Well, you know, Duke, one of the, you know, Hawaii is one of the most liberal states in the U.S., but before we go on, what's the difference between liberal and conservative here? Okay, if we're going to take the, the real basic, I guess the ordinary definition in today's political world, a conservative definition would be one who is, I guess, for limited government, who is for reduction and simplification of the tax code, uh, someone who believes that uh, marriage should be between a man and a woman, 
someone who believes in life. That's kind of your basic definition of a conservative. A liberal would be someone of the opposite, uh, I guess you could say, position on, on those issues. When I say they believe that uh, there should be more regulation of businesses and corporations, that government is really an answer uh, to a lot of our economic challenges that we have. And as such, you know, government is not to be stifled. Uh, it, it really is a, a, an answer. Marriage and, and everything else that goes along with it needs to be liberalized. It needs to be progressive. It needs to be, you know, open. Keep hearing about equality and diversity. That's their belief. And, and obviously when it comes to life, the issue of life, they say, no, it's not a matter of issue of life. It's, a, it's an issue of choice, right? A person's right to choose. And so that's really I, I can, probably the best way to put, the, put it in perspective, a liberal and a conservative. Now, I feel liberalism, especially the, you know, real left-wing liberalism is, you know, it's a harmful ideology, not only for our state, but our nation. I mean, do you see it the same way? Oh, I uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, again, that's my political bend, my bias, I guess you could say, in regards to politics, if that's what you want to call it. I think you hit it right in the head when you said ideology. It's not just mine, but, you know, I really believe, you know, we keep talking about Hawaii being a liberal, progressive state. I would say that that's true in regards to the people who are in office. The significant majority of people who are in office right now, which, you know, pretty much Democrats, that's their ideology. But I would say that the majority of the people who live in Hawaii, who are citizens in Hawaii, who are residents of Hawaii, are much more on the conservative side as opposed to the the liberal ideology of what we just kind of talked about, you know, in regards to not only social issues, but and, and on issues of, uh, of faith. Yeah, and I think that's true for the United States as well. I, I do too. You know, but I guess the question, you know, is why is it then that if the people of Hawaii are generally conservative, they keep voting for some of the most liberal politicians back in office? Well, you know, that, that goes back again. It has its roots, right, in regards to our history how Hawaii became a state and how really, I mean, I, I got to admit, and, and again, if you're going to political parties, how the Republican Party was the oppressive party. And as such, it was through the Democrat Party and the leaders in the Democrat Party that the people started to get a voice. And so they remained loyal to that party. I think from a national perspective, it's, it's very similar also. And you look at how we, how we became an industrialized nation and, and then, you know, where we've evolved since then, it's, it's about, as the Democrats like to say, we are the party of the working class, the salt of the earth. And I think a while ago, a long while ago, that may have been, may have been have some truth to it, although a lot of Republicans will, will debate that. But I think from a perspective, right, you know, from a perception standpoint, that was true. And of course, the media is dominated by the left side. And that makes a huge difference also. Yes. Now, in developing your political ideology, how did the Bible influence your political ideology? It is the basis of my life. I mean, I, 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 live, I live a Christian life. I, at least I you know, aspire to live a Christian life as best as I can. And I'm hoping I'm fulfilling God's, you know, God's purpose for me and, and what he has made me to be. So it, it's fundamental for me. The, the Bible is fundamental for me. Uh, obviously, as a judge, I understand, you know, the rule of law 
and, and what it stands for and what precedent means and, you know, et cetera. So I, I understand all of that. I understand the process. And I think that's why I really believe that God made me or put me in that place as a lieutenant governor and, and why, you know, I thought he had urged me to run for governor so that I, I could be that model. But obviously God has some other plans, I guess. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I know there's always a reason why you do what you do. And it always comes from God. There's no question about it. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.